0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. It is Doug Cunnington here. And in this episode, I'm gonna talk about a few things that you should look for when you're choosing your niche. This is one of those timeless questions, questions I see all the time. In fact, I know a lot of my peers get this question too. And there's a lot of different ways to approach it. So I'm gonna go over a few of the key ideas that I think are super important right now my thoughts on choosing a niche have shifted over the years. And as I am about to ramp up and start a new site coming soon that I'll tell you about, I am looking at things a little bit differently. And when I was thinking about my overall goals and, and the nature of how long I want to work on a particular site, this particular site, I was thinking things thinking about things a little bit differently. So I'm going to hit a couple of those points. I'm also gonna throw in a few other random topics today because because that's just what I'm I'm thinking about some random stuff today. So number one, I can tell you right now that I am in uh, Georgia right now, visiting my parents in my childhood home, which is cool, you know, it's kind of chill, quiet. I didn't bring Georgie this time, I actually flew in. My wife's not here, so it's just my parents and I hanging out brought my laptop doing a little bit of work, but not too, too much. And it's just kind of quiet around here. Pretty quiet. Typically I have Georgie around that kind of drives me to wake up a little earlier in the morning, go out for a walk and just, you know, tend to Georgie. She She's a, she's a high maintenance lady. So I have to spend a lot of time with her. She's great. I definitely miss her and my wife too. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's pretty quiet and chill. And one thing that I've done is stopped consuming uh, coffee and caffeine. Now, if you're a long-time listener to the show, thanks, number one. Number two, you probably heard me mention multiple times that I drink a ton of coffee and drink coffee like a monster. And potentially every now and then you may hear me talk about just quitting cold turkey for a couple days or a week or so and just maybe drinking uh, herbal teas, sometimes green tea, but generally like cutting down on the coffee. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how many cups per day I was having. Although in the last six months, I've sort of shifted over to half calf, half decaf, because I know that I was drinking probably like four cups a day, fairly strong coffee. I brew it at home. I rarely buy coffee out and I'll make, you know, a, a big, a big pot I do a pour over situation, put it into a carafe and I just drink a lot of it. So over some time, I realized I was probably drinking a little too much. And then that's when I, you know, stopped cold turkey further. I realized I was drinking too much on an ongoing basis and I decided to do the half calf, half decaf. And as I was approaching this trip, I was sort of like getting stressed out work's been a little, I have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, a lot of things going on, move to a new home, blah, blah, blah. And I realized I wasn't sleeping as well. And a lot of times I was getting sort of like a burst of energy at like three, four in the morning. So I'd wake up to pee, not super out of the ordinary, go back to sleep usually, but in the last couple of weeks, I haven't been able to fall back asleep as well. And my sleep in general has suffered it makes me stupider. I can tell. It takes me longer to do simple tasks. And I decided, as I was coming down to Georgia, I was like, you know what? My parents don't drink coffee. There won't be any, you know, coffee here. And I will. I'm staying. I'm just gonna, you know, stop. It'll be easy because there won't be any available. And potentially, I'll be able to sleep in a little bit more too. So I've actually been sleeping in a lot more. I've only been here a couple days and heading out tomorrow, but. I basically have been sleeping way better. So typically I feel pretty good if I can get seven hours per night for most nights. Six and over six and a half is usually okay. When I get eight hours, I feel usually pretty amazing. But it's been you know tougher to get those eight hours of sleep. Well, I can tell you in the last four four or five days, I think I've had, I will just say five days. In the last five days, I've slept over eight hours, like three times. So I feel pretty good. And I do hear that some people get withdrawal symptoms when they stop drinking caffeine. Typically, it's like headaches, potentially a lack of motivation, a little depression potentially. And I think um, some people actually get like flu-like symptoms I never really noticed much, and I could tell you this time around, because I've been getting a better sleep than I have been, <laughs> I feel I feel great. I actually feel much better. So, I'll certainly keep up the, you know, no, no caffeine, no coffee for, for a few more days. I think I'm going to at least get a weekend. I think it takes your body a little time to readjust. The caffeine, it's out of your system in, you know, what, 24 hours, 36 hours, something like that, depending on how much you were drinking but I think your body has to sort of re-equalize to a baseline since it's messing with all those chemicals in your brain. So I'll probably stay off of it for a bit, but I mean, I I do enjoy, you know, coffee in general. So I may do a little more, um, you know, just straight up decaf and, you know, see how I operate. I, I think when I have quit cold turkey, I usually don't keep it up for more than about a week or so, so I'm interested to see, you know, if things will normalize even more. I've heard, you know, a few people mention that their baseline energy level is higher most of the time when they're not on caffeine. Like, caffeine gives you, like, a quick burst and makes you, you know, maybe a little more productive for you know, the period that you're on it, but maybe your highs of like productivity aren't as high as they could be. And potentially you don't have the same sort of creative thoughts that you would have if you're not on caffeine. I'll come back to that later. Maybe I'm I'm sure some people are like, dude, we get it. (laughs) You're not drinking as much coffee. Great. But I feel pretty good. So if you are, uh, I guess here's the point. If you were finding that you're not sleeping super well and you drink coffee and you think, hey, coffee doesn't have that big of an impact, that's great. That's what I usually would say too. I'm like, I don't drink coffee after 2 p.m. and you know, I sleep pretty good and blah, blah, blah. It, it can screw up your sort of chemicals in your brain for like a long time after you consume it, not just the caffeine in your system. And like the half-life for caffeine is probably longer than you think. Something like uh, within 12 hours, there's still like 25% for most people of the caffeine you consume. So if you have like a cup of coffee, let's say it's a hundred uh, actually let's make the math easy. Let's say it's a hundred milligrams of caffeine. You have it at noon. In 12 hours, you still have 25%, 25 milligrams, which is like, I think still significant enough to screw up your deep sleep. So if you're not sleeping well, give it a shot. And, the, and the, the worst part, <laughs> the worst part is if you're tired and you're not getting enough sleep, you lean on caffeine and uh, you end up drinking more of it, which is kind of amusing. So, all right, I'm going to move on and talk about the niches, choosing niches. And by the way, I know a lot of people say niche. Some folks are cringing at me saying niche, but um, you know what? I'm, I'm from America, from the South, I got out of here without a deep Southern accent. And I think if I say niche, it's still pretty good. (laughs) still pretty good. So we'll we'll say niche from here on out. Apologies for anyone who uh, is offended in any way. So I will be doing a five-day challenge, a free five-day challenge starting on June the 8th. And it'll run until... The 12th, so 8th through the 12th, there's going to be three live sessions. And I'll put a link in the description so you can sign up. But basically, we'll be reviewing and looking at, you know, choosing a niche, the things you need to consider when choosing a niche. And we're going to talk about some of those things today. But in the challenge, there will be a few homework assignments. There's going to be demos. I guess not demos, but I'm going to review and show you on real sites things that they're doing well, it's free to sign up at the end of the course. It's sort of leading up to, sorry, at the end of the challenge is leading up to a course, which will be launching on June the 12th, and it'll be available for enrollment for one week after that. If you attend the challenge, if you do the homework assignments, you have a chance to win enrollment free into the course. You have to, you know, do your homework, show your work. And I, I believe it's a random drawing situation. Okay. So the keys for a good niche. In the past, I was almost solely focused on the keyword research aspect of it, looking at the number of searches and just making sure people are looking online for information on the topic. That's still valid. You could definitely approach it in that way. The, you know, sort of problem that you may run into is you're not considering The full market out there. You're not considering all the different areas that you may be able to grow in the future. As I mentioned before, I'm going to be starting a new site. It's actually going to be inside the course that's coming out and I'm going to build it alongside the course material so people can see exactly what to do. And it's always risky and I can talk about that a little bit more, but I will be building a site and I I thought, hey, I, I could just build something that I'm going to throw away and get rid of and don't really care about just for the example of, of building the site. Or I can build something that I actually want to pursue, something that I potentially could work on for years to come. So I already have something in mind. But when I started to look at it that way, a few other things became important. One of them is my own personal interest level in the topic. Now, I've built sites, actually more sites than not, where I didn't know or and didn't care about the topic or the material or anything. It was just purely a profitable looking niche, a profitable looking set of keywords. And it really didn't matter to me if I was interested in it. I wasn't planning on doing any of the writing. And you know those have worked out fine. But when I think about how hard I worked on those sites. When I think about how much I neglected those sites, I can think of some that I have right now where I literally I'm neglecting them because I really don't care about the content or anything associated with the sites. So for me, I know that I will work harder on something I'm interested in and you get the added benefit of being able to write the content. You also will know when you have writers working for you If the content that they have is, or the content that they're submitting, if it's good or not, sometimes you you know you get a writer who does a kind of a crappy job, (laughs) and you'll know it. But if it's a topic you don't know about, you really you're not sure. It's hard to tell. So you have to think about yourself. And some people dig the process, and I guess I fit into that area. So I do like the process of keyword research building a site, getting traffic, all the pieces, right? I enjoy the process of building that up. At the same time, I know that I don't work as hard on something if I don't care about the topic. So personally, you have to think about yourself. You just have to understand how you like to work, what gives you motivation, if you have just intrinsic motivation and drive, which... I think I do in most cases, but I know that I work harder on things that I care about. Good example, my YouTube channel and my my blog, Niche Site Project. I work harder on those uh, than you know just some random topic that I don't really care about because I'm interested in YouTube and I'm interested in marketing. And on the YouTube channel, I'm doing both. I'm talking about marketing and I'm involving YouTube. So pretty fun stuff. I, I mean, I, I'll throw out another example I'm looking at. I'm not using the camera right now, but I I bought a new camera recently. It'll be great for vlogging. It's kind of a higher grade photography camera too. And I'm, I'm into that stuff. I literally could probably have a, you know, a whole platform with a blog and YouTube and a podcast on camera gear, video gear, the microphones and lenses and just other little things that I'm interested in related to cameras and camera gear. Uh, there's try, I was going to say, I bought a new tripod. I'm looking at a new gorilla pod that I got and just all, all the details there, There's so many little pieces and there's so many different cameras and new cameras coming out. It's very interesting. And when I, when I think about, you know, something that I, that I care about, I mean, I'm, I'm literally like doing more research on cameras and camera gear After I've already purchased the camera, there's no real point, but I'm, I keep seeing like YouTube videos recommended to me. So anyway, think about your own workflow, your own motivation. If you enjoy working on something that you are interested in, or if you really don't care, I'm going to guess a lot of people are like me. You can, you can draw from your self-motivation, but at the same time, when things get harder, it's sure easier if you're interested in the topic. Okay. The other thing that I've been looking at is the amount of community that's out there. So I give the example all the time of homebrewing beer. I like beer. I'm a beer judge. I drink beer. I brew beer. I talk to other people who like to drink beer. And there is indeed a community around it. You could find this evidence in several different ways. So you can make yourself a little checklist and the more areas you can find community, the better. Again, we'll go with a homebrew example. And I know for a fact, there's a couple huge homebrewing forums online. I think it's one of the one of the areas, I guess one of the topic areas that forums are still active. I know some forums sort of like, have gone away. And a lot of people have shifted over to like Facebook groups or some other area of the internet that I'm not aware of Reddit, perhaps maybe that's sort of like the new, the new forum. So is there a vibrant subreddit on the topic? Are there Facebook groups? Do you find podcasts on the topic? What about YouTube channels? And I would I would venture that you could probably find almost any topic covered on a podcast and or YouTube. So if you find those and you find several of those channels on the topic or subtopic cuz sometimes it splinters down. I mean people that are interested in in beer, not all of those people that are interested in beer are homebrewers and not all those folks are interested in judging. But I think if you dial down, you probably could niche it down to, you know, people that are into judging beer. And that's very interesting. So, if you can find that vibrant community, especially in various different platforms, you probably can find a ton of uh, homebrewing. Actually, I don't even follow any specific homebrewers on Instagram, but I bet you could find a ton of them on there and they're showing and documenting their brew days and the samples of their beer after they brewed it. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that you can go off of. So if you could find that, you know, it's a strong market. It could, if you could find all that community, it's definitely a strong market. Now, one of the other things that I'm looking at even more after Amazon changed their commission rate structure, it's been more important to understand different ways to monetize your site. Usually, I mean, even if your site was doing really well with Amazon, usually you're probably going to be able to find other affiliate programs. And I know I've really focused on Amazon for years and that's what people wanted to hear about. And I really, you know, just kept talking about it, kept saying, you know, don't worry about other affiliate programs because at the time Amazon was probably going to convert better and earn more money on average than another affiliate program. Now that the rates have changed, I'm not sure. It depends on your niche. You know, one of of the sites that I have, it actually is not impacted. One of my students, he was not impacted either. So it depends on, you know, where, you know, where all your products are, what categories they fit in. Now, keep in mind, Amazon has changed their commission rate in 2017 in a major way, 2020 in a major way. And there've been minor adjustments here and there over the years, there's been you know dozens of changes, but a lot of them are quite minor. So if you look at your niche and you are thinking, well, I should probably investigate other affiliate programs. There are probably dozens that you can lean on. There are a lot of affiliate marketplaces out there and that's great. So you, you can shop around, see what's available Sometimes you work with bigger retailers like Home Depot or Target or Walmart. Sometimes you're working with an individual company where they just have, you know, a handful of products that you'd be offering. There's going to be a little more work with adding the links and that sort of thing. But in in one way, especially if you're starting your site from scratch, it's not hugely different than having to add individual links to Amazon products you just have to log into a different dashboard. You may have to put, you know, some links from Amazon if it's relevant if you want to or you know, just the links from the other affiliate program. A lot of times with those other affiliate programs you end up with longer cookie periods, so instead of 24 hours, it's 30 days or 60 days. Sometimes you end up with much better terms overall. You're able to get know, 15, 25% commissions versus 2%. Of course, you're not going to sell as much volume, most likely, but it's a, a much different different scenario if you have a longer cookie and if the payout percentage is much higher. Plus, there are some, you know, there's some products that you can't get on Amazon. A good example would be REI, the sporting goods store here in the US, sort of a co-op situation. It's a good store. Some people are very fanatical about it. I used to be very into, um, you know, getting all that outdoor gear and stuff, but you know, once you get a certain amount of gear, you know, you don't need any more. It lasts a really long time. Like I have a backpack that's like 22 years old. So it's, um, it's going to last a long time depending on what you get. But the point is you can't buy that stuff from Amazon. It's just available from REI. REI has an affiliate program. So if you targeted specifically those products which y- you can't purchase on Amazon, well, that's a whole different situation. and you you know you can definitely figure out how to do that for for different niches and, and make that work. I think with a sheer number of online retailers, I mean, people want to sell stuff. Those companies want to sell things, and if you have traffic on your site, you should be able to make something happen. so, other affiliate programs are interesting. Now, even deeper, something else that you should look for are digital products. All right, this is something that I often leave out, and this is an area where, actually, I'll backtrack just a bit. A lot of times, I was encouraging people not to explore outside Amazon because they were trying to they were trying to patch up a problem with chewing gum, right? They were trying to patch a hole in their boat with chewing gum. And the fact is a lot of people that think about adding multiple monetization, they are not getting enough traffic. There's so much more that they can do to get more traffic. And they're just looking to find a quick fix and hopefully squeeze more nickels out of the small amount of traffic they have. Now, I know not everyone's in that situation, but more often than not, people were coming asking about other affiliate programs, further monetization, and they're getting 70 visitors a day. There's only so much money you can make with 70 visitors a day. So, a lot of times the answer is not adding more monetization, but to do things to get more traffic. So, moving on, if you are getting sufficient traffic or in this case, you know, you're looking to find a niche that has multiple monetization, you should definitely look and consider digital products you have to look at the digital products they are sort of infinitely scalable there's very little overhead to sell more and more of the the products and typically the margins are very high because of that since the margins are high the owner of the product is probably able to pay out a much higher commission rate thus you make more money a lot of times with software you'll get like a 50% commission It's pretty cool. I mean, that's what I do with niche site project. Most of the time, if I am promoting a product, it's a pretty good payout. Not always, but a lot of times software is going to pay out, you know, 25 to 50%. Depending on what it is, it could pay out a little bit more. When you're looking at a digital product like hosting, I don't do a ton of promotion for web hosting, but those pay out pretty good. The companies that I work with, it's usually between you know fifty to a hundred dollars per lead that signs up. I guess that's a conversion. So per conversion, it ends up being, you know, fifty to a hundred dollars, which is pretty good. Most of the time, I mean that's that's uh what, what the companies are banking on. Most of the time a person is gonna stay with a hosting company for years unless there's some problem. They're usually gonna stay with them for multiple years. So they've done the math and they know if they could pay out $50 for a lead and know that they're going to make money because the lifetime value of a customer is way more than 50 bucks. So pretty straightforward there. So on the digital product side, you, you do have you know software and potentially hosting if you're in that space, but you also have info products. And that's something where again, you get that sort of infinite scalability. They want to sell more. And you get a high payout most of the time. You may be thinking, well, there's not that many info products, or I don't even think there's info products on, you know, topic X. But I encourage you to look deeper because courses count for this. And if you head over to Udemy or another, you know, large course platform, you'll probably find courses. Again, I'll give the example of the camera that I'm looking at right now there are plenty of courses on taking pictures in general, just photography. There's courses on videography and vlogging and doing YouTube videos. There's also courses on using the software that we referenced before. There are courses that teach you how to use free software and sometimes are multiple hundreds of dollars. Sometimes there's eBooks on how to use software, but you know, when you look at the, the courses and teaching and stuff like that, I can't, I'm having a hard time thinking of something where you can't find a course on a topic. On the Smart Passive Income podcast recently, there was someone who, I think she's sort of a homesteader. Yeah, she does like homestead type topics. And she has several courses on how to care for goats, the Goats, all right. So there's all all these courses on how to care for goats and uh, like rearing them and dealing with you know keeping them healthy. And I don't even actually I'm not very knowledgeable about goats, but she she has a very good business and sells courses on goats. So even obscure kind of topics that seem to be very much offline, very much not a high tech um, kind of topic. There are courses on it. So you, you should probably look and you may have an interesting offering, an interesting way to write reviews and actually earn more money from those niches. So quick recap here. You should think about a few things when you're choosing a niche. This is not all encompassing, but I think you'll be in pretty good shape. Think about your interest level. Think about how you like to work and what motivates you, what will keep you interested even when things are getting tough. You should look at the availability of other affiliate programs outside of Amazon. I think Amazon is is still a good way to monetize for most sites most of the time. I think it wouldn't be unusual to see Amazon change the commission rate again in the future or, or shift how things are paid out based on whether or not it's a qualified purchase, you know, a purchase that you link to directly versus a purchase that is unrelated to anything that you link to, not in the same category. There's a, there's a little more around that, but basically, you know, at this point in time, if you're an Amazon associate, you get credit for, anything in the order for someone that you referred over to Amazon. It could change in the future. That would be a thumbscrew that would not surprise me. So the point is, if you could find other affiliate programs, that's great. As long as there's other products out there, I think you're going to be able to figure out how to monetize it. Even if there's not an affiliate program, you could, for example, contact a drop shipper, who you see they are running ads and they're not ranking very well naturally. Well, if you cut a deal with them, some affiliate deal, there's a pretty good chance they know their numbers pretty well. They know how much they can pay per lead, per conversion and that sort of thing. So you could probably work out a good deal with a dropshipper because they want eyes on their website and you have traffic. So I think that's a, a an area that is underexplored. You have to spend the time to email, set up the deal, build a relationship, you know, it's actual business stuff that you have to to work on and with affiliate marketing in a lot of ways and, and, you know, making money online, we're able to avoid a lot of those sort of details, but you stand to earn a lot more if you actually have to cut the deal yourself and work directly with the company. You should also look at the availability of digital products. I think they're out there. If you start looking in, if you come with a frame of mind that is looking for digital products, you'll start noticing more of them out there. I'm going to give you another quick example for the REI, an outdoor niche. So you may think, hey, that's outdoor. There's not really much software. Like I, I don't even know what software you would be using. People are outside and they're not sitting at their computer. Same thing with courses. People want to go outside and do stuff. They don't want to sit and watch some person doing a video on how to do something outside. That seems silly. However, I did some research, and uh, I know that there are there's actually a lot of courses out there. I think there are there's like course platforms that primarily focus on outdoor activities. So it's like how to backpack, maybe backcountry first aid and medicine maybe hiking in bear country. Um, I'm trying to think of some other random examples, you know, beginners hiking and, and what to look out for, mountaineering, all, all these different topics, right? There's a ton of stuff. I don't even know what else, you know, you, would, you could note. Maybe fishing, right? Fishing would be a whole other set of uh, huge, I mean, that's its own niche by itself. So Even topics that seem like they are offline, people are not really paying attention to uh, the computer stuff or sitting at a computer while they're doing it, there's still plenty of courses on it. You can go search for them yourself. Talking about software, I know for a fact there are plenty of apps that are hiking oriented. A lot of times they'll have like some GPS features and you could track all the hikes that you're going on and get you know, condition and information and stuff like that. So there's definitely software and it's just a matter of like finding it. And usually if it's a big market like that, outdoor activities, there's going to be multiple software companies. That's great because that means there's some competition out there and people are looking for, you know, different products to use. And those companies want to get help promoting and marketing those products, those software products. So, once you start looking at it that way, you'll start noticing there's a lot more opportunities out there. I know I did. I, I sort of was laser focused to Amazon for such a long time that I wasn't paying much attention at all the different companies and different marketing that you you really can be approaching. We got a couple more things to mention, so I'm going to give another plug for the free challenge that i'm i'm going to be launching in in about a week from when this is going to be released so june 8th through the 12th 5-day challenge i'm working on it with internet marketing gold community and i encourage you to you know check it out go go sign up it'll be you know very much a kind of an accountability group we're all in this together we're going to be going through the material and i'm looking forward to seeing some of the folks you know from the podcast audience, you specifically in the group. So if you are coming from the podcast, uh, definitely when you introduce yourself in the internet marketing gold, IMG is what we call it. When you introduce yourself to the IMG community, definitely, you know, give the podcast a shout out. Let me know, let everyone know that you got there from here. And the other little struggle thing that I'm going through, and I, I need your opinion. I need your help here. So it's hilarious to me in some way that I get probably three to five pitches per week from a rando, some person I don't know at all, to be on the show. And they're, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting. They're like, they they pitch it like they're doing me a favor. I'm not sure. Some of the pitches are so terrible. I don't want to rant too much, but some of the pitches are bad. And me coming from a marketing perspective and we are nearly, I think I've, I've published over 150 shows at this point. So from a marketing perspective, I obviously see they just want to get access to my audience. They literally don't give a shit about me. They have no, they've never listened to the fucking show one time. And that's why I can talk about them like this. Cause they don't listen to the show. So, cause if they did, they'd be able to send a little bit better of an email anyway. The thing that I'm finding is some of the folks are indeed very successful, at least the bullet points that they send over, hey, I've created a few companies, I've sold a few companies, things are going really well, and they sound like they actually could share some excellent information. But I am torn because I respect you, the audience member, and I typically have I, One of the, the draws to do the podcast would was that I would be able to sort of ramble on and talk about what I want to talk about. Perhaps that is why, you know, <laughs> it hasn't exploded or anything. I mean, the, I'm, I'm getting uh, more listens than I ex- expected. And, uh, you know, for a relatively young podcast, I think it's about a year and a half old at this point. For a relatively young podcast in this pretty obscure area that I talk about all the time, I think I'm doing pretty good. But the the thing is, I'm just unsure what to do with these pitches because some people could actually be a good guest. And, you know, there's some other folks that don't really have a good match and they've, they've actually started working with a podcast marketing company. And that's what a lot of these What a lot of these people are doing, they just send out mass emails to a bunch of podcasts, I think. So my question to you, listener, that was a long intro to a question. My question to you, listener, please let me know whether or not you like to hear from big, uber successful entrepreneurs, or do you like the more grassroots stories where you hear from someone in the audience, people like, Derek, for example, who was on the show recently. Dom Wells, right? So he's he's quite successful, but he came up in the same way that that we all all are trying to and that we're doing right now as an affiliate marketer, just scraping by, bootstrapping it. Matt Jevanisi as well. John Dykstra, Ben Adler. Like, do you like to hear more grassroots or do you want to hear people that are basically on book tour, right? They are... <laughs> they are trying to sell some books in a lot of cases, but they also, I mean, I, I will give them credit. They've accomplished a lot, and I think they probably have stories to share, but I don't know if it's exactly the route I want to go to. So let me know, shoot me an email. You could leave me a voicemail. You can even leave a short, like one liner feedback at Doug.show and just say, Yeah, I want to hear more success stories from people from the audience. Those are by far the most popular, and I can see that easily. And they're they're the most relatable in in many cases. There's more and more of them coming up all the time, which is really cool. The other thought that I had, and I'm definitely going to try this out, because I think I get enough pitches. This is kind of like the way that guest posting has gone. I get enough pitches right now where I think I might just say, you know what? Um, Yeah, I'll interview you it's $500 and I'll publish the show. You talk about whatever the fuck you want. You can send me the questions and, uh, yeah, it's 500 bucks. Cause if I can interview someone for 30 minutes for $500, uh, you know what? I have a price and you know, it's $500 for 30 minutes apparently. So let me know. I, I will definitely try, try to do that a couple of times. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure how that'll turn out, but I suspect, I mean, I have a small podcast folks. There's a few hundred downloads per episode over time. You know, some, some are much more popular some are over a thousand downloads, but this is a modest podcast. It's me talking into a microphone at my parents' house right now. <laughs> and, uh, it's, again, it's just hilarious people. You should start a podcast just put out a handful of shows and you'll start getting pitches from random people that, you know, that want to talk to you or, you know, the, the converse is if you could actually come up with a podcast a sort of guest placement service that doesn't suck. Cause they're pretty bad out there at this point. I don't know if other people are biting, but when I get the pitches, I'm like, come on, what, what are you doing? This is bananas. I'm not an idiot here. I'm not going to put you on my show, but yeah, the more I talk about it and think about the $500 placement thing, I was like, Oh, that's not, that's not bad tangent here. Cause I was, I was watching a uh, YouTube like I do. And there was a, uh, it was a YouTuber. I, I don't know who they are, but it was, it was uh how much do podcasters make? And it was interesting because I think the ranges that, that I remember, if you have a podcast that gets 10,000 to 50,000 downloads per episode, which is a lot, like I said, I'm nowhere close to that. But if you're in 10,000 downloads to 50,000, you get about a thousand dollars per read. Most of the time you can put in like two, two reads is what they were saying. So I don't know how long they have to be, probably a minute or something like that, a minute to 90 seconds. So a thousand dollars per read. And you could honestly put in like, you know, three or four of them. So that is anywhere between, you know, 1,000, if you just put one in, so 1,000 to 4,000 per episode, which is pretty significant when you think about the overhead and how little it costs to, to run a podcast and actually pay for the hosting and all the details. I mean, I have a $100 recorder, I have like a $70 microphone, I have a cable that probably cost. actually it came with a microphone, so that, that counts. And then I think I pay 20 bucks for the podcast hosting. And then in say 10 bucks a month for the website hosting. So pretty inexpensive, pretty low overhead. And depending on how you do it, you can edit it very lightly. You can not edit it at all. This episode right here is not going to be edited at all. If you hire an editor, I know I've checked out a couple services. I mean, it potentially would be 250 bucks a month for some light editing and, and really not that much. So the point is, start a podcast folks. <laughs> it's a good move. Now you got to figure out how to get downloads and promote the show and all that, which I haven't, um, I haven't conquered here by any means, but I think, um, I think it's an, it's an interesting con- concept overall. Gosh, I think I started that by asking a question. So let me know if you just want to hear more grassroots kind of, uh, kind of shows and interviews, and then do me a favor, help me grow the show, send it to some friends, share in a Facebook group. Those seem to be really popular. And I spend virtually no time there. And, you know, forward your favorite episode to your buddy, let him know him or her now. All right. I think I'm going to call it a day here. Have a great, have a great day where you're at. And, um, I will talk to you soon. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show.com. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.